You're listening to Rosie on the House. Coming around back here, I see Mr. John Eisenhower, ISA certified arborist. Coming down out of the tree this morning, up there cleaning and pruning, getting past a big frost, doing a little little bit of thinning. If you've got a question or want to talk trees, it's one 767 4348 That's one 888 for you Text questions can be sent to 411-923. You can send an email to info at rosyonthehouse.com if you need to snap a picture and Send it along. Maybe you need a little curious about a plant or a bush that you see, or you're looking for a little insect identification on something crawling all around. Uh, whatever your tree situation may be, you can send that picture to info at rosyonthehouse.com. Good morning, Mr. Eisenhower. Good morning. How are you? Very good. You yeah. have a tree for us today? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I got, I got lots of trees, but <laughs> the one we're focusing on this month is the a desert orchid tree. And, you know, there's a lot of um, orchids around. There's some Hong Kong orchids, which are a large flowering orchid tree, which is really desirable. Um, but they're a little leggy sometimes, and the, the, the bloom is sometimes not worth the cleanup mess of the litter that drops for several weeks and months after they, um, they've bloomed. Uh, but this desert orchid is is quite nice because it's uh, native to Texas and it, it does really well in in Arizona climate in the in the low desert particularly, and it's a, a, a smaller bloom, a little more delicate bloom, uh, and there's different varieties uh, from white to light pink all the way to a purple color, and it, uh, according you know, depending on the the nursery where you might uh, uh, buy a tree, they um, They've got a, quite a wide variety of those of, of colors, but they're beautiful. They're, they they don't grow too big. They're more considered more of a, a garden uh, size tree. Maybe if you want something to fill a space ten to fifteen feet in height, uh, they can get a little taller than that. But that's generally the the average size of these smaller trees, and they um, are just a, a nice, uh, easily adapted tree. Don't uh, they won't be uh, uh, sending roots out and underneath your pavers and your um, your bedding uh, uh, material and uh, into those um, you know starting to cause disruption to the hardscape. So for many reasons, they're just a, a nice uh, small tree. We're always looking for those little smaller trees that can uh, replace the the larger trees that might have had to had to be removed because they just outgrew that landscape location. So uh, awesome little tree. It's blooming right now in a lot of places around around town. Um, uh, they can at certain elevations they can actually bloom a little bit earlier even t- into late winter uh, but uh, if you see a a, a beautiful uh, smaller uh, white to pink to purple uh, flowering tree right now very likely could be a uh, a, a a desert orchid they're called orchids they're not true orchids they just the the, the blooms kind of re- resemble an orchid shape and they're they're just awesome little trees Close enough for the desert. Yeah. Speaking of blooming, um, lots of trees popping out this this week. We were uh, on a lot of customers' properties this week, uh, looking at uh, the the bud development. People ask me sometimes, "Hey, why are you know 
or is is one of my trees budding out and the other one's not budding out and they're the same trees planted at the same time and uh, quite often trees just um, have different levels of energy reserves one of them might have a have a little favorable uh, rooting space it might have had a little bit more water uh, it might just have a little bit um, more um, energy going into this uh, spring push so you'll see that in yards there's just little differences in the locations of the of the trees and I've got one customer with five elm trees, and she watches them closely. And she's actually named these trees after family members according to their characteristics. You know, if they bloom early, they, you know, they're, they're a very active person in her family. And if they bloom a little bit later, they're a little bit slower if they're in their demeanor. And she's got some names for them according to when they, they pop out their, their new leaves every spring. It was kind of cute watching, listen to her describe her, her uh, little uh, group of five elm trees. But that's kind of, she's got to know their personalities because the, each year, sure enough, two of them bloom, you know, pop, push their leaves out sooner. The other ones are a little bit further along, you know, and, but they eventually all get nice and green and full by the uh, middle of uh, middle of summer. So yeah, we a lot of lot of uh, awesome trees. You know, they're pushing their blooms out. I noticed my apricot trees in full bloom this morning. Um, you know, a lot of these flowering stone fruit trees like peaches and and plums and apricots, they um, will actually push their bloom out before they push their leaves out. And it stands to reason, if you think about this, that uh, leaf production is a big energy uh, uh, drain on the plant. It's, it requires a certain amount of energy reserves to be able to create that those leaves. Well, the the fruiting uh, the fruits the reproductive capacity of a plant is 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 dependent on its survival as a species. So it puts the, its first initial spring flush into that that blossom development to assure that there's going to be fruit development. And as soon as those, those blossoms are, have, have uh, been pollinated and the fruit is, is set, um, they'll drop those blossoms and then put on a nice uh, foliage cover, which then is the food source um, you know, through photosynthesis to keep that tree nice and healthy and to help that fruit develop. But that, um, uh, it's really beautiful to see those evergreen pears any, uh, any listeners who have an evergreen pear know the beauty of that, that first uh, push of, of, of blossom uh, this time of year. In fact, they're one of the very first blossoming trees around town. If you, you're driving around this time of year and you see these beautiful uh, uh, displays of white blooms on a tree with no leaves on it, it's all, all flowers, just like my apricot tree this morning, all flowers, no leaves. Um, it's, it's generally an a, a, a evergreen pear. They're one of the first signs that, that spring has sprung. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, really beautiful this time of year to see that. On our some of our talking tree to-dos this month for our tree calendar, uh, would you say we're, we're past that frost point? We can start trimming out some dead wood? Yeah, perfect time if you have your frost damage. You know, again, I always tell um, uh, listeners to be sure you look at the weather forecast before you start cutting back frost damage. If there's a uh, a forecasted late freeze, which can often happen, we've had um, freezes as late as April, so always be looking at that 10-day forecast. But if there's no um, late frost um, due, usually by uh, March 1st, you're safe to begin cutting back all the frost damage on your lantanas, on your bougainvillea. And we've been doing quite a bit of that the last uh, couple weeks, starting to uh, get ahead of that 
that new growth. It's nice to get all the uh, the, the dead material um, off the plants uh, so that when the new spring push of, of, of growth comes on, it's not getting all intermingled with that frost damage. Because if you come back and you start cutting out frost damage on your citrus and some other things, after that new spring push of growth, that, that juvenile growth on your, your citrus trees, for instance, is so tender that you'll, you'll likely end up damaging it um, as you're trying to get the dead wood out. So good time to get in there with uh, any of the frost damage. Get it out now, and uh, you'll, uh, that new growth will be able to, uh, to come onto the plant without, um, inter- without interference from the dead wood. The other thing is, too, is uh, questions come up, you know, how, how do I know how far to cut back my frost-damaged plants? Well, uh, the, the, the rule of thumb is just to cut back as until you get to good green wood. And you can usually tell if you've got a pair of hand pruners in your hands and your, or loppers and you're cutting um, uh, just till you see a nice clean cut and you can see the green wood uh, right at, at the point of that pruning cut. But sometimes you can also take your thumbnail and scratch the bark um, or a pocket knife and, and, and you can work your way from the f- frost-damaged end of the branch back to the green wood and when you start to get to if you see it's brown or black underneath the bark that's dead tissue just keep on working your way back until you get to green wood and then make your cuts there well let's get to chuck who's called in get started with our callers at one 767 that's one rosie for you welcome chuck good morning good morning hey i just planted a hong kong orchid tree and it stands probably about uh, eight foot tall, but the branches on it seem to be, uh, you know, drooping down. Should those be trimmed back a bit, um, or or will they come up, or is that just the nature of the of the uh, tree? Yeah, it's it's probably more the the natural growth pattern of of that orchid to have a little bit leggy growth um, in the early stages. And even as it gets older, you'll see that it's sort of a weeping growth habit. The branches want to grow out and tend to droop down, which as the tree gets larger, of course, that becomes part of its floral display as those branches are out. They're kind of draping down and they're holding those uh, those leaf cl- the, those flower clusters um, and really helps to display them. But the, uh, you know, the Hong Kong orchids are a little bit, like that unruly teenager, you know, that little unkept all the time, you know, as as it's in that developmental stage, uh, it'll look a little bit leggy and and it just doesn't have a lot of nice structure and form in the beginning. I would suggest that if you can avoid trimming anything off of it, though, in the first year or two, um, you'll you'll be happy because again, all that that those branches are per- producing. Um, energy for the tree. They're, they're creating the sugars and starches that the tree needs to, to do well and to stay healthy. So any kind of leaf surface you leave on is going to be available for photosynthesis and, and, and ultimately for the health of the tree. Now, if those branches are really, really leggy and long and you feel that they're at risk of possibly breaking or putting un- unnecessary pressure on the branch attachment, uh, maybe a, some light trimming back um, would be helpful. But just keep in mind that every time you cut off any leaf material from any plant, you're handicapping it and uh, taking away some of its food-producing uh, uh, photosynthetic leaf surface. So just go easy. They say less is more with pruning. Always uh, uh, try to keep as much of that, uh, that uh, leaf material as you can. Mm-hmm. 
if TEP powers your home? You can take advantage of planting a tree. Their discount shade tree program while supplies are available is going on now until May 31st. They have over 100,000 trees ranging from Arizona ash to Texas ebony, Arizona cypress, sweet acacia, live southern oak, Chinese elms and Chinese pistache, desert willows, mesquite trees, native mesquites, honey mesquites, palabreas. You would just go to TEP.com, sign into your account and apply for the program you can get up to three five gallon shade trees for a discounted price of five dollars each that's a good price and then they'll notify you via email when and where it's available to pick up it'll be at one of the local nurseries whether it's harlow's relitos savano's native gardens or eco grow all local nurseries to tucson that would be a great (laughs) that'd be motivation to plant something yeah, we were just down in Tucson at the tree climbing competition last Saturday. It was a lot of that fun. That was one of those times where we had a conflict of interest. We were already committed to being at the yeah, Tucson yeah, Book yeah. Festivals. And we'll work we on it for next year. Two places at once. That's out at Reed Park. Mm-hmm. Beautiful park. Yeah. Oh, it's it's a great park. I, I, I We were just su- surprised. Well, I shouldn't have been surprised that that <laughs> park is so overwhelmed with people. Just It's just a great place to hang out and yeah, had a good time there. Well, and you've got the local zoo, and there's a golf course yeah. right next the, to it. Yeah, it's, the, it's the a zoo's right there. Major attraction. Who won? Did you win? No. Did uh, Danny win? No, Merrill Martinez won the oh. competition this year. And uh, Andy Young uh, was second, and Dan Stevens took third. Okay. Yeah. And Dan and Andy, both previous winners of the tree climbing. That's right. Was yeah. this uh, the winner's first time? Mar- yeah, it was. His, his first time winning, yeah. So he'll go on to represent Arizona at the Western Chapter ISA Tree Climbing Championship later this summer. Do you know where that is? You know, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, but it's coming up in the next month or two. We'll have to find out where that is. It, the locations for those are always fun to see where where they pick and go to. Yeah, good luck to to. We've got Mary. callers online that have lined up to talk to Mr. Eisenhower, and you can too at one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. You wanted to cover a little bit of insects. I know we had spider mites queued to talk about today. And- yeah, we we just to give uh, folks a heads up. You know, in all of our sales meetings at, at uh, Integrity, we uh, talk every every week just about what are we look, what are we seeing out there in the landscape. What are we uh, you know heads up? Um, but to all of our homeowners. Uh, uh, be looking for spider mites. Uh, that you'll see a little bit of webbing on the leaves, and you'll start to see a little bit of discoloration of the foliage. These are signs that you have spider mites. Uh, Genista caterpillars are really a, a problem with our Texas mountain laurels. White flies can get into the ficus trees. If you start seeing big clouds of these very very small little white uh, flying insects in your white in your your ficus. Um, that's not a good sign. They can defoliate a, a tree pretty quickly. Also, um, uh, just be on the lookout for these other aphids and other things that are starting to uh, populate our, you know, come, you know, uh, get into our landscapes in larger populations. These insects are often uh, cosmetic. They don't really cause a lot of problems. Uh, and most of the time they, they go through a typical life cycle and then they, uh, when the hot weather arrives, they're, they're not so much of an issue. So don't, uh, feel like you've got to go, uh, you know, uh, get a chemical out and begin to, uh, spray everything that's, 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 uh, alive out in your garden. 
many of these are 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 are, are food for other insects and birds and so you know just let them sometimes run their course they uh you uh if there's some heavy populations where there's complete defoliation of plants there might be a uh, a, a time where you might need to step in and have an inter- you know chemical intervention but we try to um, use the least toxic methods of control. Uh, for instance, on the genistic caterpillar, you can use uh, you know BT. It's a Bacillus thuringiensis, which is just a a, chemi- a, ver- a, an org- a, a a very harmless material. It's it's deadly to the caterpillars, but harmless to any other insects. So those are kind of uh, treatments that are awesome because you're protecting the beneficials. We of course want to be protect our honeybee populations. There's been all sorts of chemical applications over the the decades that have started to decimate some of the bee populations around the country and around the world. And we're very careful not to be spraying when uh, honeybees are are feeding. So uh, keep all those things in mind when you're using chemicals in your yards to just be very, very conservative in the use of them and very careful to follow label label instructions carefully for anything that that's, you're applying. That's the big kicker right there. Follow the instructions. Absolutely. <laughs> they spend hundreds of millions of dollars to bring a product to market. It's got yeah. to go through countless amounts of testing and government programs. Uh, it's been tried, practiced. They've got testing sites. That application on there isn't made up. I mean, that is hundreds of thousands of sure. hours of research, man, uh, testing, application yeah. testing. Follow the directions because it's very specific to work. And quite often, <laughs> to quite, <that> often <laughs> quite often, a little more of a good thing is not better. No, it, not. It actually can become not just toxic, but it can become a, um, a bad for the, the plants that are, are you're applying it to. So yeah, re- really, really carefully, if you're trying to control an insect, you could end up you know, killing plants uh, with an over, um, uh, over-application of, of the, that same chemical. Well, we can do a lot of things here at Rosie on the House, but we can't stop the clock. Dwayne, hang tight from Tucson. Let's talk about a red oak. You'll be first after the break, along with your calls at one 767 4348 We've got some emails we want to cover, along with the rest of our March Talking Tree bullet points here at Rosie on the House with ISA Certified Arborist John Eisenhower. Trees can't speak, but John Eisenhower speaks their language. Talking Trees with Rosie on the House. Well, we were talking a little bit about applying products to eliminate insects, which prompted a call from a listener to notify us about a event going on today where you can go get plant that attracts butterflies out at Butterfly Wonderland. There's spring plant sales going on today and tomorrow. Uh, ask Master Gardener's questions about starting a butterfly garden. Price ranging uh, on the plants is from $9.95 to $19.95. Proceeds benefiting Butterfly Wonderland Foundation. Yeah, you know, not only do flowering trees and shrubs uh, provide beauty in the landscape, but they also attract wildlife. You know, there's those long-throated uh, blooms of the Tacoma, um, you know, our orange jubilee and yellow bells uh, are, are big attractors of, of hummingbirds as well as other uh, f- flowers like fairy duster and others that are known attractors of hummingbirds. And uh, this plant sale, you know, that's uh, selling uh, uh, plants that are specifically uh, um, uh, 
uh, design, design for butterfly for attraction, butterflies. pollinator. Awesome. Yeah, sure. A natural pollinator. A lot of people think pollination, you immediately think bees, but yeah. uh, hum, uh, hummingbirds, butterflies, you know, they're all pollinators as well. And uh, Have you ever been out to Butterfly Wonderland? No, I've been by it on the freeway there at 101 and about Via de Ventura, so yeah. in that area. Yeah. I've never stopped either. No. I've wanted to take the kids to, been, uh, to went, go check we it went out. through the, the aquarium at Odyssey. That was a lot of fun. But I know just be, beyond that is the uh, the butterfly place. It's one of those things I see and I think, gosh, I bet the kids would like that. And you think, you know, you get home and you're like, man, that's that's over an hour away. There's crowds. There's other people. <laughs> well, it'll be worth it. Yeah, you, I bet Let's go do something else. <laughs> Let's fun. get on the horses. Let's get to Dwayne who wants to talk uh, with, uh, about his red oak plant or his red oak tree. Good morning, Dwayne. Welcome to the program. Good morning. I have a tree that's about five years old. Uh, we planted it initially in a place where it was heavy caliche. And after four years, it really wasn't growing the way I thought it would. So I transplanted it last year into a very soft soil area. We did a lot of um, purchase tanks, uh, organic materials, had the tree growing. So it transplanted very nicely. We went on vacation uh, the person who was supposed to water the tree for us didn't, and the tree, when we came back, started to dry out. Now what I notice is not just uh, the tips of the branches are dying, but I have chunks, like two-inch-wide sections of the bark falling off, and the diameter of the trunk is about two inches. So I'm wondering, is, is there a way to bring the tree back, or once the bark falls off, is it dying? Yeah, once the bark begins to flake off like that, that's uh, you know the the cambium uh, right below the bark uh, is is not no longer functioning, and that's that's re- that's uh, that cambium is responsible for the transport of water nutrients up from the roots, and also the transport of the uh, sugars and starches downward, you know, uh, from the from the top of the tree. So yeah, those that that's permanent damage sometimes trees can recover from that that looks like just sunburn um, because the the protected sides of the branches or the trunk on the north predominantly on the north and east side of the tree uh, can still be intact and healthy and they can conduct the water nutrients and translocate those um, that that material um, effectively but it's pretty tough because now you you have a compromised um, system uh, a compromised, you know, vascular system in the tree, and it's going to be difficult for the tree to survive. And you'll see the corresponding dieback above when you have uh, damage like that to the, to the trunk. And only time will tell. You know, in the next month or two, as the tree puts on new growth, you'll be able to tell whether it's worth saving or not. If there's enough foliage above, and I would say you'd need at least 50 to 60 percent of the foliage above to be healthy uh, for you to. Um, uh, for you to for it to be worthwhile to save the tree. Otherwise, you, it might be better just to cut your losses and put a new tree in and start again. Okay, so if we do get um, leaves coming from up above, is there something we should do like to wrap the trunk to protect it if I do get some leaves? It's a good question. We, we see that quite often, and I, I usually say no, it's not worth it because the damage that has, has occurred on the west and south sides of those branches, so to wrap the trees, you're only wrapping over the dead cambium uh, that's already been uh, lost. So there's really not a lot of benefit 
um, if that has occurred. Now, if there's other parts of the of the uh, the tree, other branches or parts of the trunk that are on the west or south side, of course, you can protect those from additional sunburn. But usually the sunburn has occurred where the uh, exposure was the worst. And the other parts of the tree, a little further up the stem, um, have enough foliage to shade them. Uh, quite often, if uh, if parts of the tree, the interior of the branches, has at least filtered um, sunlight, uh, you know, just partial shade throughout the day, uh, it's enough to keep them from burning. It's those areas where the, the the exposure is for you know hours and hours at a time through the intense summer heat that causes the sunburn. But it really depends on from tree to tree whether you, you, it would be beneficial to wrap them. We appreciate the call. Good luck. Those are beautiful trees. Any kind of oak tree is beautiful, but those red oaks... They're just yeah. the leaves are a little bigger. Larger. They don't quite. I don't think the tree gets quite as big, but the leaves get bigger and it's a more symmetrical type yeah, growth. They're, they're they're beautiful. They are, and they're not they're not widely used. And I, there's uh, several uh, cultivars that have found their way into the market here in the low desert in Arizona, and they're just they're they're a great even to the higher elevations too. A lot of oaks that are available, and they're such a durable tree. Uh, there's a really great book called Oak. Uh, I recommend it to. Does it promote oak trees? It, well, it does. It, that's, well, that's why they, he, he named it this. It's just an amazing look at the history of oak trees around the world. Oak acorns used to be the primary food um, of of all the, the of many peoples around the world until wheat became commercially available and was it was easier to transport and store. And so wheat sort of took over as the as a main staple food item uh, for people people groups f- throughout the world. But the the reason oaks were so were were so widely used is because they're so widely distributed. There's oaks at almost every elevation and on every continent. I mean, it's you know almost every continent, and and they're just an amazing tree. But that the the book oak is is well worth a, a read. Fascinating book about. The distribution of oaks and their use over the uh, centuries. I'll have to track that one down. Hazel and Tucson wrote in and wanted to kill roots of a hop bush that was planted in a bad spot. It's been sawed down, and but wants to keep it from go- growing back. And was hoping to use natural methods if possible. Is there anything that she can apply on to the the remaining root structure to knock it out? You know, probably. If she's trying to be as careful as she can, you can use salt, rock salt, you know, and a, it's nice to actually make a final cut um, to that to that stump so you get down to some uh, live cambium and then just uh, get a some rock salt and bury it around that and then water that in. That will kill a plant. Be really careful because that salt can leach out into the rest of the area and, and affect other plants. And it's pretty permanent in the soil if you put it in 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 a quantity large enough to actually kill and suppress that that's that 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 stump from resuckering. You're going to have to put quite a bit in, and to do that um, could be you know, could be at risk of leaching to the other parts of the yard. I keep an old wheel rim on the property for pulling out roots. It was something that I actually called it as this radio program close to 20 years ago, called and gave the tip about, <laughs> I'm sure at some point you've uh, 
You got tired of digging and you backed your truck up and took a chain and tried to rip it out with the truck. You're shaking your head yes like you've been there. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've had some success and some others not. <laughs> so to make that successful is you get an old tire rim and you roll it up to the base of the root of that tree mm-hmm. or uh, plant or whatever it is you're trying to rip out. Once you've got the chain around that root Right. And you take the chain over the top. Of over the, the top. So when you pull, the pull becomes vertical and it pops it out instead of horizontal dragging, yeah. dragging through. And it re- it really eliminates a lot of yeah. the you know the, the landscape tear up. It it brings it back to just that root size. And sometimes you do look at it and you can tell roots broke off down in the right. in the but mm-hmm. it's enough of the root enough structure's of the root gone that, you... that you've killed the entire problem. And that's actually how we handle desert broom plant, which we had a couple calls, emails this week. One in particular, Joe in Peoria, that stood out as frustration with them because they are vicious. They are. They have a very, very deep root system, and they can go down a foot or two, two or three feet into the soil with mature plants, and they're really, really difficult to get out. And the difficulty with them often is, and, and like you're saying, if you're pulling sideways, you can snap the top off, and then you've left that root in there. Well, it, it will grow you know, large, the root will get larger and send up a new sprout, and that new sprout will be weakly attached, very difficult to get off again. You've got to get down below there to get that root out effectively. That is one plant that I would highly recommend using a, a, a systemic herbicide, a contact herbicide, because uh, the contact herbicides have a pretty uh, short life in the, in the soil, and they only are, are going to affect the plant that you uh, apply them to. So on a cut stump, you can just paint on um, a, a glyphosate um, product, and it will go right into the, the root of the, of the, of the plant you're, you're, you're treating, and that will be the only place it's going to be. And it will be in the, in the, the active chemical will be in, in, in that root, and it will be uh, gone within a very short period of time. Within a few months, there's not a long you know, half-life of, of many, many years of it sitting in the soil. It's um, a v- relatively... Uh, a short uh, lifespan um, in, in the environment. So in those limited applications like that, sometimes those very pernicious weeds that have a deep taproot um, are, are best, uh, w- would be a candidate in my mind to, to be treated with a contact herbicide. And <laughs> Joe said, you know, I, I, I think we need to discourage people from planting this. I don't think anyone plants it. It just Blows in the wind and grows. It does. <laughs> they 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 are the one of the very first plants that that find their way into a disturbed soil. So whenever there's construction sites or any kind of a dis, dis, disturbance of the soil, uh, those um, desert brooms, uh, those seeds find their way in, and they're the ones that have that flowery, uh, that cottony looking flower. You've seen there's a bright green foliage, and they this time of year they put on this white bloom. And it's a cottony-looking material. And as soon as they, they start, as uh, uh, so, soon as you get the slightest bit of wind, it carries those little tiny um, light little seeds on a, on a feathery uh, little tail. And they can, they can blow for miles all over the neighborhood, planting new little desert brooms all around. So a lot of, they, a lot of uh, HOAs across, um, around, the, around the state I recommend homeowners to try to control them on their own property because they end up just uh, spreading to other neighboring uh, 
habitats, and they can just become real, almost an invasive plant in some areas. The expert that's brave enough to say the word, deciduous. Talking Trees with John Eisenhower. Rosie on the house. Wrapping up our Talking Trees broadcast, we do it the second Saturday of every month here in our Outdoor Living Hour. Where are you going to take us for this final segment? Well, I'd like to have a little bit of uh, uh, just a discussion on weeding. You know, after these rains, we've had a lot of uh, just amazing growth. And, you know, you can see the hillsides, you know, uh, all over Phoenix, just uh, they're nice and green this time of year, which doesn't send a a great um, uh, signal to the fire departments around the state because mm-hmm. when we have heavy rains in the winter and fall, it usually means for a, a heavy crop of, of weeds all across the valley, which we know will end up drying out. And if there's three or four, uh, if they're three or four times as tall as they were, um, that means for a fire hazard. So be really careful um, uh, with your buildup of weeds in your around your properties. Uh, a word about that. We are, my my yard was crazy. I was out of town a few weeks, you know, early this year. Um, had some business that took me out of town and come back and my goodness, you know, the weeds are, are knee high, sometimes waist high in parts of my yard. And I, I just wanted to encourage listeners to be sure that, you, you know, to try to get them while the ground is wet. You know, with this uh, rain we've had in, in recent weeks, the ground is still holding a lot of moisture. Uh, hasn't been uh, dry enough to to dry them all dry it all out, so it's a great time to get out and and start um, uh, tackling the weeds. My method is to do this. You know, I I don't like to spray a lot of chemicals in my yard. I don't like to have to s- use a weed killer, but I'll go out and 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 often knock down, t- take the biggest ones out by hand. Get a pair of gloves, go out and start just pulling up the big ones that are going to be able to come up uh, easily. Uh, no reason to uh, weed whack those down because it's just that much more material you've got to rake up and clean up. Uh, one of the other things you keep in mind is that you've got if you, if there's any way you can get ahead of the seed production, uh, you'll you'll prevent the weeds from uh, dropping their seeds and then having another harvest next year because uh, the the seeds that are on there now are are going to be eventually uh, as they dry out and mature uh, becoming the uh, your problem next year. So to get you know another good reason to try to get out there this weekend or next to try to beat the uh, the weeds to the seeds, uh, but anyway, pulling up the big ones by hand. Then if you have so many weeds that you, I just can't even imagine trying to get them all by hand. Um, a, a weed eater is not a bad idea uh, to to cut them down as close to to grade as you can. Of course, uh, hand weeding um, those small little patches uh, with a hula hoe or either by hand. I've got a nice weeding tool that I, I really like for getting the weeds out of my lawn. I've got a bunch of spurge. Is that, that John Jr.? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I've got some uh, spurge that pops up, and you can see it so clearly. It sits right on top. But those uh, weeds are pretty deep, and you, um, you really do need a weeding tool, some sort of a little forked tool that will get in around the sides of the, the stem and then pry up the, the weeds and, and lift them out with that. Um, so you're not just cropping them off at the top and snapping them off and then have them just simply grow back later. Uh, I did a bunch of that yesterday and, and got um, got ahead of uh, a little bit of that spurge growth. 
Um, and I sometimes I let my weeds just get mature enough. If they're really, really small, sometimes I'll just let them get bigger until I can, you know, get a nice purchase on them and, and, and be able to pull them out. Uh, but anyway, weed eating is, is a nice way of kind of doing a, a quick knockdown of all of them. Of course, if you if you cut them off just above the ground, the ground level, they're going to be coming back. But it might be um, better than dealing with all that plant material. Because um, if you do spray them, of course, you've got to come back and, and clean them up uh, often. And uh, but what I'll do sometimes is do a little wholesale, you know, knock down with a weed eater and pulling them up by hand. And then maybe I'll let them mature a little bit more, you know, to get a little bit more leaf surface on them and then, then come back and with a, a, a controlled spray and, and just hitting those. Uh, you know, of course, as we know, contact herbicides um, are only going to be taken up by leaf, leaf surfaces there. So uh, to get a good knockdown, um, you need to have enough leaf material above ground so you can spray them. So I might let them go for another week or so and then come back with a spray and it's a little easier than spraying them when they're knee high or, or waist high. That's a lot of <laughs> a lot of material going on in the landscape and and a, and a lot of work. So it takes a lot longer to spray them when they're that tall as well. And not all of them are, uh, you know, concentrate chemicals anymore. There's burnout as a citrus base. It's an all organic mm-hmm. from Bonide that you can apply for weed control. Now those do show. And, and you can see signs of it working, nothing's going to be as fast as your Roundup glyphosate-type products. But if you're looking to keep it uh, organic, there are options now out there. And Again, yeah. the faster you get on them before they grow, the, the less application, the right. quicker you can apply. And you don't want to forget the hula ho. The hula ho hula ho's is a great, great tool. I, I, ho- I hope it made somebody very rich because that design is, is so cool. I'll be following my goat around the property this weekend with the hula ho. I let him <laughs> eat it down to the – we've got these nasty cheese weeds. I let it eat it down as far as it will well, to the stem and then you're trying to hula get ho some, behind it. <laughs> some, you're trying to get some of that, 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 uh, that, that Christmas pie worked off. It's a, a hula ho is a, a good method of, of getting out there and getting some exercise, especially when the cool, these cooler temperatures are still with us. You, you mentioned the word cheese weeds again. Any idea – a weed, I'm I'm sorry. Uh, where did that name come from? Do you know? What? Uh, the word weed? Cheese weed. I didn't say cheese weed, did I? Uh, well, no. Romy and I were talking about oh, it, something oh, called oh. a cheese weed. Never heard of it. I, I haven't either. I'm sorry. Oh, no. You? You've seen it. it you, you, you know what it is. I'll show you a picture. You're like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's exactly it. John, if somebody wanted to get a hold of Save a Tree Integrity Tree Service. iTreeService.com. The letter I, TreeService.com is the best way to get us. Thank you for joining us, and we'll be looking forward to talking trees in April. We'll be getting close to fertilizing application again. A little into spring, we'll have some growth coming on. And be here to take your tree questions at Rosie on the house.